This is November 17th, 2019, and I'm uh, going to <clears throat> talk about uh, some of the precepts, the Buddhist precepts, uh, in the context of uh, environmentalism. Uh, first, just a reminder to people that uh, our annual uh, Receiving the Precepts Ceremony uh, is coming up. It's just under two weeks from now. Uh, we call it Jukai sometimes. And uh, it consists of uh, uh, a number of elements in the ceremony, uh, and I'll be uh, talking about that more on the day of the ceremony. That's the uh, last Taisho, uh, and the next Taisho of mine, uh, the last Taisho uh, before the actual ceremony is the day, the morning of the ceremony. Uh, but the, uh, the the meat of the ceremony is uh, the, the, the 16 precepts. Uh, the, and there are three divisions of those 16. The, the first three are the three refuges, three treasures, sometimes called. And I'm just going to set those aside today and uh, address them uh, that, that Saturday. Uh, the other 13, the first, first three, are the what are called the three general resolutions. Uh, I resolve to avoid wrong, I resolve to do good, and I resolve to liberate all living beings. And then there are the 10 cardinal precepts. And those are the ones I'm going to be talking about today, especially the first five. Um, again, in, the, in, in terms of environmentalism, which, uh, to repeat what I said in my last T-show, one of my last T-shows, I think, is the by far the most grave problem we're facing as a species, as, as a people, is uh, how to deal with uh, the really alarming uh, rush of uh, climate warming, global warming. Uh, a little bit more about the, about the precepts. Uh, it's one of three elements, uh, what we call the three essentials. Uh, Buddhism loves number three and the number seven. It ran across it all the time. Seven forty-nine, seven times seven, and uh, <clears throat> the three essentials are, just to put in ordinary terms, uh, meditation, morality, and awakening. Uh, leaving aside awakening today, I'm just going to focus on on uh, morality or ethics. That's what the uh, the precept ceremony is all about. Uh, and uh, and it has a, a very intimate uh, relationship to meditation, daily meditation, that they are mutually um, reinforcing. That if we if we have a daily practice of sitting, not once a week or twice a week, but if we have a daily practice of sitting, then we're going to be able to better um, stay within, uh, put it this way, we'll be better able to avoid causing harm, unnecessary harm. That's uh, 
I think it's a good way of understanding the precepts, not in terms of right and wrong. We don't, we don't need that layer. We don't need that. It's superimposed over <clears throat> Buddhist ethics is right and wrong exactly. I mean, it kind of comes down to right and wrong, but I think it's much better to just recognize that there are consequences to our actions, to our words, to our thoughts. Uh, this is causation, the law of cause and effect. And what the way I, under, I understand the, the precepts, it's they're just guidelines that will help us not cause as much hurt to people, to things. We don't need the terms right and wrong. It's it's just not causing harm or hurt. Uh, <clears throat> in any situation we face in the world where uh, certainly anyone in the Sangha, I venture to say, is, is trying to work out uh, what we need to do uh, to avoid causing repercussions that are harmful. We are, even on a daily basis, maybe we're, we're, we're evaluating uh, trade-offs and um, risks in trying to minimize harm to ourselves and to others. Um, and ethics, there's nothing, I, I, I can't think of anything more complex than the matter of ethics because there's, there's no simple black and white answer to anything ethical or, or har I, hardly is. Usually there's not. Um, in in uh, Buddhism, um, we we recognize that these these ten precepts <clears throat> uh, they are descriptive of our true nature. They describe how we would function in the world, how would we how we would act and react. That's that's the word karma, action and reaction. How would we how we would go through our the days of our lives? Uh, in the in in the way that causes the least harm, but it 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 is a is a description of uh, the ideal, uh, not not killing, not stealing, not uh, misusing sexuality, and so forth. So when we strive to live up to the precepts we're just we're just trying to um, live up to our true nature our 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 originally enlightened nature and none of us are going to be able to do that in anything that approaches perfection we will continually being be tripping over this precept or that precept, especially when you consider that they can be interpreted in different ways. This is uh, a study of its own 
that we undertake with in our koan curriculum we uh, address this matter of the precepts and ethics uh, as a usually as a final study after the other the koan collections have been done because ethics together collectively are a kind of koan only not in the not in the real strict sense of the word koan means uh precedent uh, it means um, it's based on what has been understood by previous generations so that we not in, in addressing a, a, an actual koan a zen koan we're not just uh on our own uh, using our own subjective uh mind um, so it's based on precedent so but we can say this that that uh ethics are like koans in that we we struggle with them on a con- continuing basis there it's we we investigate ethics or if, when we're inclined to we investigate these matters of of uh harm causing harm not causing harm as an open question, an ongoing question, and that changes as our practice goes on, as we as we develop a greater insight, and everyone does if you're maintaining uh, daily practice, especially if you're going to Sashin now and then. But as we move along the path, we see these precepts differently, a little differently. And we then have to consider how they, how we deal with them uh, in in the many, many countless ways that we're asked to make decisions, uh, uh, either a, a daily basis or or uh, less frequently. So, <clears throat> so ethics. It's a uh, it's engaging the questions around harm, harming, uh, and, 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 and even asking them over and over in different contexts. Uh, and we, we, we will find ourselves, if we're serious about this, bringing our attention back to the questions uh, with a fresh mind over and over again. And what I offer in Teshos uh, on the precepts is is just how this one person uh, sees them uh, one by one, uh, which will not always be what I how I saw them ten years ago or thirty years ago. It's it's an ongoing unfolding process of discovery. And by no means do I, I see my my perspective on the precepts as any final, absolutely correct one. Uh, but it's what I have. It's all I have. Any of us can offer is how we see it at any given time. So that's my job <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, I uh, I I dragged out uh, nine books on. Buddhist environmentalism uh, earlier uh, in the week, last week, 
and um, kind of plowed through them, skimming, mostly skimming them because there's been so much good work done on this. The the person I would put at the top of the list is Stephanie Kaza. Stephanie Kaza um, has been to. It was just, we invited her to speak, and she came to, and spoke at one of our symposiums. And uh, she's just the most marvelous writer, clear, intelligent writer, lifelong Buddhist. And uh, I would urge anyone who wants to delve into this more to start with Stephanie Kaza. She has several books about this. And uh, I found myself uh, just immersed in them uh, these last few days. Uh, I said to Truman when he came in a few minutes ago to, to check and see if everything's in order and we're ready to come in here. I, I asked him if I could have another hour to prepare for this Tay show. So we're just going to, as usual, it'll be a little bit scattershot, but then um, people can run with it. She mentions in one of her books, she mentions a, a, a book, a little book called The Consumer's Guide to Effective Environmental Choices. It's, uh, I think for at one time we may have sold it, maybe not now, but... Um, it's, uh, it, it summarizes a number of things to consider in, in uh, this matter of ethical choices. Uh, it, it lists six primary concerns um, about the environmental impacts uh, of our choices. Uh, air and water, pollution, no, air and water pollution, land use, solid and hazardous waste, and climate change. And uh, under the, under the, in matter of, of ethical choices as well, um, she considers the following categories. First is fruit, food production. Um, and this would go under uh, the first precept. The first precept is, I resolve not to kill, but to cherish all life. And uh, that, of course, uh, involves food production. Uh, it used to be that those of us who became vegetarians much when we were much younger, it was the primary, our primary concern, and it still is a big concern, is the suffering of the animals. Um, all of the the cruelty and suffering involved in the factory farming systems of of uh, cattle and hogs and chickens and all. Um, but there's this other thing that I that I've heard is more uh, prominent as a, a more prominent reason that people these days become vegetarians or even vegans is the 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 harm involved in the food production. So meat production uh, is the leading cause of agricultural water pollution. It's because cows and hogs are fattened for slaughter in large feedlots and their manure runs off into the groundwater polluting nearby streams and lakes. Uh, the production of, of grains and vegetables 
also takes some toll. It takes some toll on soil, the soil and uh, habitat biodiversity. But then we always face the question of, of, of having to make choices. There's no, as uh, she says somewhere, there's no harm-free lunch. Uh, we all participate in the big story of eating and being eaten. It's, um, it's, it's interesting that sometimes when I mention vegetarianism, usually in a workshop, uh, someone will uh, pounce and say, well, well you say that uh, um, vegetarian is something to to it's something that's worthwhile because uh it there's no complicity with animal slaughter but what about vegetables what about a carrot huh huh what about that didn't think of that did you <laughs> yes <laughs> yes uh unless you're a fruitarian you just eat fruit you find on the on the ground or nuts then, then there is also uh, some involvement that vegetarians have with uh, the the with animal, or, or rather with uh, vegetables and grains and so forth, and the, the, what's involved with that. Uh, but then, you know, we can come down to uh, what do I actually need? For each one, we could ask this: What do I actually need? What is what is my fair share? Um, how do my choices impact the food available to others? In terms of causing harm, and now still with the first precept of not killing, there's also uh, the, the harmful effects on, on our own health. That's part of considerations of ethics, of of causing harm or not causing harm is is what we're doing to ourselves. Uh, meat intensive diets have been correlated with high rates of heart disease and cancers of the digestive tract. The hormones used in beef production can affect us adversely, affect human reproductive development, causing early puberty and male infertility. And the heavy use of antibiotics in conventional meat and dairy operations uh, is also something to consider in terms of one's own health. Another consideration in uh, terms of diet is in terms of evaluating harm with one's diet is the distance a food has traveled from production to market. So we look at all, we can go crazy if we look at all these these considerations and uh, are too, uh, get, we can get neurotic about purity. Uh, and that's another danger from a Zen perspective. Um, so we make choices, we recognize that there's going to be some toll, greater or lesser, 
on living things, and uh, and then just keep revisiting the question. Maybe there is this idea out there that uh, that really the the choices any individual makes about uh, consumption, any kind of consumption, or, or, uh, are really not going to do it in terms of climate change and global warming. Um, I've heard people say that uh, that it was too late anyway. Uh, why should I be concerned about what I buy or what I eat? Um, or this is my, one of my favorites, that we shouldn't care because we don't have kids. Who, those of us who don't have kids can say, oh, or uh, this is one I heard, not from a Sangha member, but who said, well, I'm not going to be around then. <laughs> oh, good for you. Uh, you don't, you may very well be around. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's half joking, but it's something to consider. You know, when we look at how the world seems to be spiraling out of control and uh, may be tempted to think, well, it's not much, not much longer I have to put up with this, but it may be lifetimes and lifetimes and we have to face these things. There's an article I read just the other day um, by Kara Buckley, a reporter for the New York Times, who went to a, a, um, a workshop called Cultivating Active Hope, Living with Joy Amidst the Climate Crisis. And uh, it's more or less a prescription for handling climate grief. And grief is, I think, not too strong a word if we look straight at the statistics that 98% of scientists agree that uh, global warming is a real phenomenon, climate change is a real phenomenon and it's human caused. And, uh, and then you start reading about the projections of how bad things are going to get. And uh, she reports this, Kara Buckley reports in this article that um, on, on the on what a a Ziwa Woodbury, an eco psychologist, believes that we are collectively experiencing climate trauma, and this trauma we're both the perpetrators and the victims. Our assault on the biosphere is an assault on ourselves, and that altering habits like how we we eat, um, and what we buy, can make people feel more empowered and less overwhelmed. And, can, and it can shift our relationship with the natural world. After all, uh, she writes, after all, the belief that natural resources exist for our heedless exploitation got us to this point in the first place and haven't make it, made us any happier. She says that it makes us feel good that we're doing something and it gets back to the idea of shared responsibility. This idea, she says, the idea that individuals are powerless only exists because we've made them feel powerless. So, okay, even if it's true, 
even if it's true that if every single person now in the world started started uh, uh, adopted a vegetarian or vegan diet and we all uh, took our own plastic bags and went shopping and and uh, got electric vehicles and everything even if if that uh, would if someone would argue that that's not going to do it we need these huge institutional changes governmental programs um, what do we lose by adopting these individual choices it does get you engaged it's a it's a way of of embodying um, our efforts to do something about this horror that we're we're and if not us our our children grandchildren future other des- descendants future generations i it it seems to me it's such a such a uh, avoidance such an escape uh, to uh, say, well, what good do these little things do anyway? Uh, what we need is a big technological change. Okay, um, I don't know. I, we don't have to get crazy about uh, our choices, but uh, anything helps. Anything gets us in the game. Don't we want that? Don't we want to feel that, that we have some of the effect on on this huge, huge problem? One other thing, a little bit different, in the same article um, on uh, on dealing with climate uh, grief, climate trauma, uh, she says, there's nothing more powerful than a broken heart as long as you have a spiritual container to hold it. And this brings to mind the fourth precept. The fourth precept is a resolve... Uh, not to lie, but to speak the truth. And that starts with being honest with ourselves. Uh, and this, this is what makes ethical, ethical issues uh, a real practice, because it's, again, something we have to keep working at, working with, revisiting, as we do every time we cross our legs to sit, is looking squarely at how we are contributing to harm in a greater sense or a lesser sense, or reducing harm. This is the work of of spiritual practice. Anyone who is sincerely on the path is to look unflinchingly at the effects of what, what what choices we make without getting, getting judgmental about ourselves or others. That does no good at all. Just like it's like when we're sitting and our mind keeps wandering into thoughts. There's no there's no point in getting down on ourselves, disparaging ourselves, and despair or despairing about it. Yeah, we okay. We 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 stumbled there. Okay, just get back up, dust yourself off, and try again. And then it happens again, and we just keep trying and. The same with all of these very difficult ethical issues. But to have to have a, a practice, have this practice and a sangha, um, and to be able to work through these things, and what I would want to see 
still hoping that we can find ways to work together more on um, issues around climate change. Um, this can make all the difference in the world, just getting active, responding to these things that that really, who who cannot feel some grief at at what's happening? Back to the first precept. What we're seeing is many, many species being decimated. There's no way these life forms can ever return to Earth. They're creating it's creating a vacuum. The vacuum in this vacuum uh, can't be filled in any other way. And it affects everything else in the ecosystem. Again, if not for ourselves, uh, think of future generations, which are not that far off, uh, the ones who will really be paying the price. It would be nice, though, to broaden, if we were able to broaden our concern beyond our own children and grandchildren. That's what, in many, many things, that's what gets people woke, <coughs> is when, when they can relate through their, their own children or grandchildren. I know that a lot of, a lot of uh, well, some some uh, politicians, office holders, uh, who can be, who at one time were so uh, anti-gay marriage or just anti-gay, uh, who then find out that their son or daughter uh, is gay, and uh, and then they change their whole perspective on it. They become more sympathetic. Really, do we have to wait for, until our own children or grandchildren are involved? We, can we get beyond just the genetic protectiveness and look at it larger than that? Just go on a couple more of these precepts. Uh, the second one, uh, not to take what is not given, but to respect the things of others. This we can understand uh, in a wider sense than just just individual uh, violation of the precept, uh, but uh, in, in terms of the misapportionment of world the world's resources and how we may be exploiting people <coughs> and animals and plants, exploiting the natural world for short-term benefits to a minority, a so-called fortunate minority, taking what is not given. Clear-cutting, strip mining. These also could, could fall under the third precept. If you kind of stretch the definition a little bit, the third precept in our, in our translation, there are different translations of these precepts, but in ours it's uh, not to misuse sexuality, but to be caring and responsible. At another, uh, see another translation is not participating in abusive relationships, relations, and 
to stretch this a little bit, we can say that uh, this would include not raping the earth, not abusing the earth in, in ways such as clear-cutting and strip mining and all the others. Just to, to draw that out more, um, this is from uh, uh, the late John Dido Laurie talking about this. He says, um, to take away from the insentient is stealing. The mountain suffers when you clear-cut it. Clear-cutting is stealing the habitat of the animals that live on the mountain. When we overcut, streams become congested with the sediments that wash off the mountain slopes. This is stealing the life of the fish that live in the river or the birds that come to feed on the fish, of the mammals that come to feed on the birds. You see how this can bleed into uh, the first precept of not, not killing. We could also see, now jumping around, the third precept on sexuality as not monkeying around unnecessarily with uh, genetic engineering. The fifth precept is uh, the formal translation we have, or rendering we have, is uh, not to uh, abuse alcohol, not to cause others to abuse alcohol or drugs, nor to do so oneself, but to keep the mind clear. But uh, we can expand that easily and, and uh, quite persuasively expand uh, alcohol and drugs to any addictions or, or even any, any habits of consumption. We know the, uh, this little mantra that uh, I think is very powerful. It's, it's reduce, reuse, recycle. We want to reduce our carbon imprint. We want to reuse things that we have bought uh, and uh, and recycle them. Those that can't be reused any longer. Giving up dependence on cars. This is a tough one. I've thought about this and been tempted to get a bike to ride from home to work and back. Uh, but um, in the end, I, th I just heard too many stories about people being getting in car getting getting hit by cars in the city here, and uh, maybe that would I would have seen that as a like a, a red flag that would get me to do it forty years ago. But <laughs> <laughs> but now uh, I have to think about not just myself but the Sangha and I don't know how I would hold up if I was clipped by a car but then of course we have other options hybrids uh, electric vehicles the uh, sixth and seventh precepts are the hardest to twist into a, a environmental interpretation uh, the the, the uh, sixth is uh, resolve not to speak of the faults of others, and the uh, seventh is I resolve not to praise myself and disparage others. 
But um, the eighth, not to withhold spiritual material aid, well, we know that uh, there are so many very worthwhile, hard-working, struggling environmental causes. Good, there are better ones and there are worse ones, but it doesn't take a lot of research to hear that some have a good reputation and and uh, that we can support them financially, um, and of course supporting supporting uh, politicians, those who are running for office, who pers- persuade us that they're sincere about working for environmental causes. There's no end to the number of organizations and and office runners who we can support in that with that using that eighth precept the ninth is uh not to indulge in anger but to exercise control well anger anger is is another way of talking about anger is uh hatred or hostility or ill will or enmity these are all uh, valid uh, substitutions for the word anger. We st- stick with anger um, in this, and also the three, the three poisons: greed, anger, and delusion. It could be greed, hostility, a greed, uh, ill will, and delusion. It's a broader. Those other words are broader. They include all different kinds of of ill will. Um, and when you consider that, then you can see. Uh, I think of. Uh, I think of um, dealing with pests, um, mosquitoes, flies, mice. Um, if we're going to decide that you have to exterminate them somehow, then uh, to do it mindfully and to do it even with with uh, some uh, Regret, awareness of what what we're doing. Uh, I learned recently that uh, that mice can carry deer ticks, and uh, we have had some trouble with mice uh, here here and at Chapin Mill, and uh, and there it is the difficult decision. What what do you do? For all you start with have a heart traps, try to. Try to do it humanely and take them, you know, 25 miles out where they are not going to find their way back. <laughs> they sometimes do. <laughs> um, but then, in a case like this, uh, I, I feel, and I said this uh, to others here at the center, that I think we just have to get an exterminator when it, before it gets out of hand, or uh, and uh, it infects people with Lyme disease, a very serious <laughs> disease. And then we do it with regret, with awareness. The tenth uh, precept is uh, not to uh, revile the three treasures. That brings us back full circle to the first of the sixteen, first three of the sixteen precepts. Is not to uh, is, is Buddha Dharma and Sangha. So not reviling them. This really kind of covers all the previous nine. It's a, it's a sort of a climax to the other nine precepts. Is is uh, in in terms of uh, environmentalism uh, to recognize that, uh, that every living thing 
is something is some as a a, a manifestation a, a a part of this true mind of ours this essential nature of ours that uh was it Walt Whitman who said uh, even even uh even a single flea is miracle enough to stagger sextillions of infidels every single thing has ultimate value it's not just part of the ecosystem each thing is this is uh what in in buddhism is called the uh, the nirmanakaya aspect uh perspective is everything every one of us certainly but even every mouse every mosquito is the whole this this doesn't make sense in any kind of rational way or empirical way but nonetheless every single thing is it so Next, next Saturday is, or no, the, the Saturday after, a week from the day is our uh, ceremony of gratitude, and uh, I want to urge everyone who is even tempted, maybe tempted to come to do so, and uh, it's it's one of our most popular ceremonies. Uh, people come back again and again. Um, it's it's an unusually uh, tender uh, ceremony. I think if if you want your heart opened more than it already is, uh, that's one of the best things you can do is is come to come to the ceremony, um, and um, and then and speak. We offer there for the chance for people to speak uh, about what they for what they feel or to whom they feel grateful, and uh, and then that following Saturday, the thirtieth, uh, I think it is, will be the uh, the, the jukai the precept ceremony and uh and the night before is the uh temple night uh there's another thing that you might want to come to that and uh, experience what that is like we'll be saying more about that in the upcoming uh sangha emails but uh now our time is up we'll stop and recite the four vows <laughs> Endless blind passions, 
hands I bowed above root Dharma gaze beyond measure I bow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I bow to attain all beings without number I bow to liberate endless blind measures. I bow to uproot Dharma gaze beyond measure. I bow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I bow to attain. All bow standing.